So you like bold red wine most of the time With notes of fig and raisin You like a cold brew and pitching horseshoes As the sun is fading You like football games and dishing out nicknames With Godfathers 1 and 2 But not so fast, we've got a podcast We like that too we like that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too. Hey, Bon Vivants, welcome back. We've missed you. We're here in the Bon Vivant International Media Center, and you're listening to the We Like That Too podcast. And I'm Brad Jones, and of course, Joining me is the head Bon Vivant himself, Mr. Keith Inlow. Greetings, everyone. Welcome back. What's up, bud? Not much. I'm excited about today's show. I am too because this, it does. It's, it's one of the things that we all have to do to survive. Eat. Well, and love love to do. You don't have to look at me to know very much that I don't love eating. But but it's also somebody that we've been talking about having on the program for a long time yeah. and just trying to get schedules worked out and it finally worked. So we are very excited to have our guest today. We had to get him we had to get him uh not home but like in the country. Yeah, he's been traveling so much lately that uh I'm envious and excited to hear about some of that stuff, so we'll get there. But we call him chef to the stars or chef to the celebrities around here. And we'll let him tell some of those stories. Johnny Graham is an executive chef and uh, based out of Jefferson City, but travels all over the country and world to cook for people. So we know he is a, a culinary expert and you and I loving food the way we do. We thought it'd be a great guest. I like to think of Johnny as a culinary educator, too, because well, too. Yeah. he is, uh, I, I'm sure, picked up and learned so much from all these cultures and all these different countries exactly. that you've gone to. It's it's just going to be so fun to hear some, yeah. so welcome, some of these Johnny. stories. Welcome, welcome Johnny. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> and uh, pardon me if I'm a little slow from the jet lag coming back from Hawaii yesterday. Uh, yes. We feel so sorry for Tough you. Tough re-entry. The, the, the Bon Vivant <laughs> Are out there weeping. Sorry, you don't get any sympathy. No, no, I wouldn't that. expect it. In there, in, in this, in their snowdrift. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is being recorded in the middle of March. I think we're barely above thirty degrees today. Uh, so we're, uh, we're hoping to be over this. You probably have more than jet lag. You probably have weather culture shock, well, the, don't you? The jet lag wasn't what bothered me as much as the weather. Yeah, that's what I bet. Through the reentry was. I did get up early this morning, which felt like three in the morning uh, to yeah, me after, after yeah. ten days away. But well, yeah, I thought I'd timed it better, and then I was going to come back to spring well, well you, you got pretty early. close because it's gonna be a lot warmer tomorrow i mean you could have you could have waited a day it depends on which day you come back it's <laughs> yeah, been no all kidding. over the place yeah no kidding we had a day last week it was almost 80 yeah that's, it was like well this is not gonna last that's missouri weather that's, for you that's right that's the exactly tempting right. the tempting that's right so johnny there's usually somebody in your past that you look up to and usually it's a grandma your mom or, or, or somebody that lets you hang out in the kitchen and you realized, I really, really like it out here in the kitchen. Did you have somebody early on or was it something that maybe came a little bit later that you knew that the culinary world was where you wanted to be? It started early, but I don't know that I can credit anyone uh, in those early days. My dad made a pretty good black and red fish from his time in New Orleans. Oh, yeah. Um, which is where I was born. Which, by the way, I consider Louisiana the eating epicenter of the universe. I, I just, I do. I, but, I leave in three weeks for another culinary learning journey down to the bayou. Uh, <laughs> 
Nice. Now you're. That's not right. Now you're. Five now weeks. you're getting the dagger out for <laughs> no, me, three. man. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm really excited about that one. But I was always in the kitchen. I was the kid after school. You know, most people were running around playing football or whatever they're doing. I fourth grade, I'd be in there making cookies. After <laughs> I usually had the kitchen in total chaos by the time my parents would get home. My sister and I were latchkey kids. Um, but I loved to cook. I love wow. to cook after school, yeah. so it was yeah. what I was meant to do. I've never looked back. That's another way, Keith, to get very popular with the girls and your and your yeah. and, and <laughs> keep from getting beat up. Feed them. Hey, I never thought of that. Either play guitar or feed them. Our Sorry. first <laughs> Janet and my first real date was I cooked dinner for her. So you know something might have worked. It's a good trick. Let's do some background about what your journey has been. Where'd you train? Where 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 have you started? Where have you worked? Sure, I can lead you through that. I'll try to shorten it down a little bit, but I started That's my right. first we job. Got, we're we're <laughs> not limited by time on this. Okay. Um, <laughs> my first job was a busboy at Madison's Cafe Yeah, <laughs> when I was 14. And uh, there were definitely times that the kitchen was a scary place for a 14-year-old boy. <laughs> now I see why. But we <laughs> um, go back there and meekly ask me, you know, Sharon told me to come back and get salads for table two and they'd make them kid, you know, yeah, throw me over there. Yeah. So that was the first thing I ever learned to make was Madison South salad. Which isn't bad. <laughs> still a staple. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're still good. It's still a staple. Yeah. I like their Caesar. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I left here, I guess after high school, I went to college for a year, which I, I wasn't ready for. <laughs> uh, and it showed. And, uh, so I lasted about a year and I dropped out before they kicked me out, which I'm sure they would have. And uh, I moved to Kansas City. I wasn't, uh, wasn't about to be I, I told my dad, I'm like, look, I'm going to support myself. I'm going to go do this, figure out what I'm going to do until I am ready to go to college. And I got a restaurant job at, uh, at uh, Garozo's. And then I worked a little bakery, uh, Le Bon Boucher, on the plaza in the morning. Yeah. yeah. So I worked around the clock um, for about a year. And then I went to culinary school out in San Francisco at the California Culinary Academy. Is that is it the same one that Ben went to, Ben Human went to? If he, if he did, we haven't had that conversation. Really? Because Ben went to culinary school in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. Well, probably. There may be more than one, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was chance. the big one then. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you know? Yeah. Uh, he probably graduated. <laughs> <laughs> I made it uh, about as long as I did in regular college. <laughs> it For me, it, uh, at the time, just I, was, I intended to just be taking a break, but the reason I didn't go back is I just kept having further more and more opportunities in the world of restaurants and it just seemed to be a or at least i justified my not going back that it was you know a very lecture oriented uh school in a very lab oriented career yeah so and, getting in getting in the kitchen and hands-on stuff was as good a training as you're gonna get, yeah right? i mean that summer after i dropped out i ended up having an opportunity to go out to martha's vineyard um somebody invited me out there so i came for what i thought was going to be about six weeks um which was right i was there that summer but then i went back two years later stayed there for about eight years <laughs> For another summer that yeah. lasts about eight years. For Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, but well, you, uh, you still you still spend time out and there. Got, and you yeah. still got relationships with people out there. Too. Oh, absolutely. It's it's as much home as this is. You know, I spent most of my most of my twenties and most of my thirties there. Um, so yeah, I've got a lot of longtime friends and acquaintances and people that you know used to be my dishwashers or mayor. You know, it's, it's, I've got the same sort of background there. Yeah. And I, I guess I skipped a big one in there. After my first summer uh, on Martha's Vineyard, I moved to Chicago and I got a job um, at a place called. Bella Vista, and I met a chef that really taught me what it was to be a chef, and I still draw on him today. Uh, Jeff Felsenthal is his name. He's now out in Idaho. And I haven't seen him in a number of years, but the WWJD is, you know, I think of Jeff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what yeah. would Jeff do? <laughs> so he's the he's the person. There's he, always he, somebody. Even though it's a G. He's, <laughs> your, he's G your Yoda. Yoda huh? So Jeff's, Jeff's yeah. your Yoda. Jeff yeah. Felsenthal, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, cool. And then he helped me get my foot in the door when I – he was leaving a restaurant that I was working at. What um, kind of a restaurant was it? That was another Italian place, yeah. uh, Bella Vista. It was an old bank. It was neat, great food, but I'd learned just so much about how to be a chef, and, you know, be take pride in your work and do the same thing when nobody's looking as when they are. And when he was leaving that place, he got me uh, – got my foot in the door at Charlie Trotter's. Oh. That kind of changed my life. And yeah. I yeah. Yeah. Um, Tell me about Charlie's because that that is you know one of the absolute absolutely. Hall of Fame sort of sort of restaurant. And, and I want to hear about Charlie's, but let's not get too far down the road. Uh, okay. come, Keith come, always. Why do I always have to be the bad? Why do I have to be the bad cop every time, Brad? Keith, Keith always keeps us on point. <laughs> well, I've got this glass sitting here next to me, and I'm like, wait a minute, guys. Oh, looky here. Look. So, as you know or may not know, Johnny, we do one. We review one bottle of something on every show. Fantastic. And um, it's you. Usually wine, but we've ventured into other things. But we went to our bottle sponsor, Matt Green, down at Barvino in Jefferson City, and Matt recommended this nice bottle of French Sancerre. And uh, because when this show uh, airs, it'll be getting into warmer weather, and we might be trending more toward those what Brad and I call patio pounders that are nice and crisp and light. <laughs> so let's talk about Sancerre a little bit. I'm going to ask you, from a chef's perspective, uh, when you talk about wine and pairing food and stuff like this, where does Sancerre stand? Are these these French whites on your, uh, you know, when you're creating menus and things? It is much more of a summer thing for me, uh, yeah. white wine, yeah. just in general. But that's also because I cook a lot more fish we, in the summer. Right now. We agree. We're, <laughs> season, we're seasonal We've drinkers. We've become yeah. real seasonal drinkers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> these, yeah. The rosés and some of the, the white burgundies and those. I love them. Call it I just summer water. I, rose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. I just don't necessarily want them in January and February when there's snow on the ground so so we agree that it, it is uh, more warm weather wine uh, it's it's more refreshing to me but this one's from france remember bon vivants that in french terminology wines are identified by their location their where they come from and sancerre is a region in the loire valley uh, that is known for sauvignon blanc production so this is a sauvignon blanc domaine paul Cherrier sancerre the Loire Valley, uh, where this comes from, is known for its limestone-based soil. So that's where you get a lot of the acidity and the minerality out of the wine. So what do you guys think? I'm glad you said that because I was about to mention the minerality of this is prominent to me yeah. anyway. Uh, it's I'm not saying it tastes like rocks. I'm just saying that there is, there is a um, – Limestone there's flint. A, there's a limestoney kind yeah. of a there's a, a thing to it. I like it it's, a it's, lot. It's what that terroir is known for. Is the you know the, the wines really take on the the characteristics of the terroir. Johnny, we've been to France wine country, Loire Valley. Oddly, I've not. As a, as a chef, <laughs> France is one of the few places I've not been. Um, I shouldn't say one of the few places, but it, you'd think that would have been one of the early ones. For me. <laughs> it's a scratch off. <laughs> uh, so, so you still, well, that's, you that's still on your have bucket a bucket list? list? Yeah, it's on <laughs> your bucket list. Oh, certainly. <laughs> so the, the winemaker is Stefan Riffault, and he is one of the young up-and-comers in Sauvignon Blanc in the Loire Valley. And so he's making a name for himself. And so description-wise, I'd call this a pale yellow, maybe. It's a uh, beautiful pale yellow. Uh, just off-white. Off off white. Golden. Yeah. A little golden. Um, Almost looks like an ale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some, some, yeah, it does. Somebody left out overnight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got a great nose. Ale that somebody left out A really overnight. crisp nose. But I even get acid off of the nose. Mm-hmm. And um, – What's the um, what's the alcohol on this? This is clean. This is very crisp and clean. Well balanced. Thirteen five. Nice. So, yeah. Nice. I do get that uh, that minerality. Not heavily acidic, but very crisp. 
No, more of the minerality. I think it, so many people are used to the Sauvignon Blancs from the New Zealand Marlboro region right. that are really citrusy and fruity. Yeah. And, uh, this is not heavily fruit forward. Like they're grown in the sand by the beach versus the <laughs> Yeah. Right. Oh, I like this. I do this too. is very good. And, you, do, you uh, don't get a lot of fruit off this, do you? you no, get, I was saying that yeah. compared to Sauvignon Blancs that, we, that right. a lot of people are used to from the right. – uh, New Zealand Marlboro it, region, which I consider to be a little chewier, as they say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is old world. Yes, it is old world style, definitely. The acid and the minerality comes through more than the fruit. Twenty four dollar bottle of wine, folks. can't beat that. So yeah. it's very affordable, great price. Again, the the Domaine Paul Cherrier, Cherrier probably is the French way to say it. You need to, do I need to put on my French accent? We both need to work Domaine, on Domaine, Domaine, Paul Cherrier, you know. What, uh-huh. do, what do the ladies in wine access say? Just do it with gusto, and yes. people will people won't fast question and, you. Fast, say it fast, yeah, and with conviction. With conviction, that's right, that's right. So, <laughs> so good. So that's our wine for today. I didn't want to get too far down the road before we started telling stories. Paul Cherrier is the way I would pronounce it. Yeah, I think Cherrier. I think I E R is Cherrier A in French, but I don't know. From Sancerre. I know it's Perrier when you're talking about the water. You're correct. The, that the that water. Might, so that, yeah. Could be a proper name, though. Yeah. It's, it's Paul's wine. It's Paul's Thank domain. Thank you, Paul. It's Paul's world. <laughs> it's good. We will have a picture of it on the website as all as we always do our bottles. So. We will. We will. We all will, right. We will. So back to the important discussion. You were 21 because that triggered Keith's interruption with the wine. So <laughs> yes, finally, I don't need that. My first glass, my of dr- glass of wine at 21. <laughs> yeah. 21, so Charlie right. Trotters were, you know, Charlie Trotters. Yeah. That was, that was heavy duty. At the time, we were arguably one of the top three restaurants in the country. Yeah. Along with the uh, French Laundry and then Les Benas in New York. Um, so, so describe for, for the uninitiated. Charlie Trotter's, what's the the menu like? What's the vibe like? The ambiance. Yeah. Yes. We did all degustation menus. There was at least seven courses. Generally didn't have much of a say in what you were allowed to tell us an allergy. So they had a couple things that you could order a la carte, but generally, and the smartest thing to do was just sit down and let it happen. Yeah. <laughs> and we, and I, I ate there twice and both amazing experiences. It's also good to just let the sommelier go. Yeah. You'd have eight small tastes of wine with your eight courses. Nice. Nice. Um, no place like it to sit in the dining room and no place like it to be in the kitchen, but much less enjoyable. Uh, <laughs> It was a very clean, very well-oiled machine, but it was uh, it was hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was 21. I, I remember thinking at 26, I'm like, thank God I was young when I worked there because I couldn't do that now. And what, I meant that. <laughs> what were you doing? Did you have a particular station or specialty or were you doing everything? You moved up as you went. Uh, yeah. I finally made it to the line uh, right before – the hotline right before I left. But most of my uh, year and a half, eh, close to two years, I was in uh, Garmanche, and then I moved to the grill. But yeah. so mostly doing terrines and pates and cold stuff, and what you call a salad station at any other sort of standard restaurant. But we'd get there eight thirty in the morning and run till two in the morning. We didn't sit down for staff meal. We got a family meal, you know, but we didn't sit down for you. Never not in the weeds. This may be a stupid question. I don't know. I'll, how, let, you, how? I'll let you know. Well, yeah, I know you will. <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> When you're when you're at a Charlie Trotters and you have sort of that format, it's basically the chef's table. How how is that different in the in the kitchen than other restaurants that you've worked at, where you've got multiple things, you've got a whole menu of things? Is it different? Is it more compartmentalized as far as the duties that are in the kitchen? Because I would imagine when you've got a a, men, a big menu with a lot of different things that 
your duties may be a little more varied or is it very military type precision? This is what you're going to be doing and you're going to do it extremely well. Well, there was definitely, we'll start with that. It was very, the brigade system is what we would call the military, military style yeah. in the kitchen. Um, your thing, if I was doing the tomato terrine, for instance, that would be a lot of the time my thing in the summer months, um, that I'd spend all day building these things and, and all night plating them. You're going to be really busy in the, the early in the seating, you know, from 6 to 6.45, I'm slammed, I'm going to crank out 80 of those. The grill doesn't have any meat on yet, nobody's gotten to that point in the middle, so everybody's helping, you're jumping in. And same thing afterwards when it moves over to the hotline, then I'm stepping over there because I'm not selling any tomato terrine. So you were expected to be able to jump in anywhere, and then you did. And, you know, by the end of the night, we're all quinelling ice cream. And then some of us are, would get sent to the uh, dish pit on occasion. You know, sometimes yeah. I think just to prove a point to you. Or just to, <laughs> they thought you were getting pretty good at something. They're like, hey, go try this. You think that's an easy place to be? <laughs> it was the hard, one of the harder jobs at Charlie Trotter's. You know, every plate you is, learn. Yeah. And every plate yeah. was $150 to replace. And you know, we had the high-end Riedel stemware, which snapped so easily. Oh, <laughs> oh, we, as, yes, that's you know, a sad day when you break a Riedel. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it, it does. It hurts. <laughs> it hurts. That's why you never wash stemware at the end of the party you wait till the next day yep that's right but uh so from an executive chef perspective what did you learn watching how menus were built and how courses were you know progressed that, you know, that kind of thing that's what we talked about and and did uh, every day is sort of progression of flavors and we try not to repeat anything yeah, yeah. you, you got to keep put the fresh, spicy right? stuff up front early on in the meal to kind of wake up but you know so often with the big plate of food whatever it is no matter how good it is after three or four bites it Become sort of monochromatic in your mouth. When we always went out of our way to avoid that, you know, so every, everything was new and we tried to follow a real, a course. So each flavor transitioned well into the next one. Yeah. I watch a lot of cooking shows on TV that it seems recent. It's probably been the last five to 10 years, but the locally sourced farm to table, uh, whole animal movement of maximizing resources and using what's local is sort of a big deal now. Absolutely. Was it back then when you were working there or was that not something that was part of the approach? We definitely drew from the world market. I mean, because we'd get in Russian caviar and sure. Casco Bay codfish, that sort of thing. But we all, we, especially with our produce, we worked with all local farmers and full times uh, we'd go out there. I went with my sous chef to a farm and we met the farmers and it's in, it was before it was cool. Uh, so it just sounded, I was like, why do we get all these dirty vegetables? You know, we can order these from Cisco and get a clean carrots. <laughs> but especially with that famed tomato terrine that I was you talking know about. they fresh yeah. when they get the dirt on them. Yeah, that's yeah, right. All yeah. tomatoes, all shapes and sizes and colors and flavors. And it was amazing. So, no, he was he was big into that, Charlie. Like I said, it was before this. So maybe we're ahead, talking of, about, ahead of his time. We're talking about almost 30 years ago now. Yeah. Yep. yeah. What about the wine program? Did they have a master sommelier Yes, there? they did. They did. But they so knew a lot you, more about it than. <laughs> did they did they school you a little? I mean, everybody everybody I take it got schooled, especially your servers and that sort of thing. Yes, or, the servers much more than the kitchen crew. We couldn't. We were still trying to just keep up with our own dish and what we were supposed to <laughs> yeah, do. Yeah. The Get it out the door. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to ask you about your Martha's Vineyard experience. Sure. When you started and over the years, I know you're very protective of your clientele list, but at the same time, I know our listeners would be interested in 
maybe anything you can even hint at or whatever. We don't want the dirt, but if you know, are there are there certain people you've at least cooked for or? Oh, I, I'm not that, protective of the list. Um, yeah. It's uh, the stories about. Yeah, it. We're, we're not <laughs> I asking, usually yeah. I usually sign something that says yeah. <laughs> I can't yeah. do that. Yeah, you know that a lot of that was on Martha's started on Martha's Vineyard, and then I started going to Los Angeles in the winter months. So yeah, um, it's funny. I, I think I picked up more clients in Los Angeles on Martha's Vineyard than I did when I was in Los Angeles. <laughs> sure. Started booking parties for the fall and winter when I'd meet them uh, in the summer months. So early August of 2000, I'd, I'd started my own, my first restaurant and uh, we made everything from scratch. It was kind of a crazy place to be. And August is the highest, busiest time of the year out there. You're just running, 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 getting no sleep. But about a week before that, um, an old friend of mine walked in and he said, hey, I'm, <laughs> I've been tasked with helping Keith Richards and his family find a private chef. For the six weeks that they're going to be here. I can't imagine. I can't even imagine. <laughs> and I'm like, let me check my schedule. And I want it out and throw it over my shoulder. Funny, <laughs> funny, I'm free. Yeah. I that think I can so, work that I out. Work that out. Yeah. so far from free. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you, it, the, he was he was amazing. And unlike any other of the celebrities that I've worked for, we're all our own people. But he, he was incredible. Um, is incredible guy. The first night, I I was a little bit nervous. Um, you think? That, first, <laughs> that first one, I can't. Really? That yeah. first thing I cooked would be the worst. I, I was just like, oh, my I God. I cooked for a lot of celebrities out there, you know, once or twice here and there and something. Yeah. But he's a, he's a rolling stone. Yeah, <laughs> he is. Pretty much. <laughs> um, so I'd been there all day and kind of cooking at, at their house. They, they rented and they'd said they wanted sort of family-style meals. So they all arrived. I went out there and said hi. I kind of helped them in with their luggage and um, went off to their rooms to get settled. And said, you know, so do dinner in an hour and a half or something. So great. Uh, they all came to the table right on time. What a great family. <laughs> and, uh, I explained, I said, Oh, this is first butternut squash. We've got some local sea bass here with Jimmy Terry and went through everything and please enjoy. It's a pleasure to be here. And they said, Keith pulls out a chair from a the nearby table over here and said, Sit down. And I thought, I was, Oh, no, no, no. I, I've got dishes to do. I got, he, sit down. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> he said, Never say no, Johnny. <laughs> and I never did for the, the next six weeks. <laughs> and that meant, uh, I went to the beach with him and we went on, Long walks. It <laughs> just wow. uh, got Johnny. Did they give him. you? Did they give you a list of likes and dislikes? Did you have a, at least a kind of a format of? Yeah, you know, I don't think so. Going into it, no. The, wow. um You know, and once you get once you get to know people, then you know it's like, yeah. hey, tomorrow would you like? It was a strange time. Um, I, he was there with his family when his father passed away. It was oh. in two thousand. I don't know if you remember that. I think it was a, kind of made the media for a while. So he and his family left and he extended after a month to go home and then he extended and he came back and then it was just he and I for two weeks, which was pretty, pretty special. I, I sat next to him at the piano bench and I was like, can you play the piano? Like, no, but I could play the vibraphone. You know, yeah. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> um, so I sat on the piano bench next to Keith Richard playing harmony, which is, which is wow. pretty incredible. Oh He's like, can you just do God. this? I was like, I, I can do that. Just a lot of, he cooked sometimes. He liked to cook. What liked did to he make, cook? What were the things he liked? Did he yeah, have he a specialty? He made one thing, uh, but he'd do it once a week or so. Bangers and mash. Bangers? Oh, yeah. Three yeah, okay. times I was there, he made us dinner. All right. Yeah. I'd do the dishes. Yeah. All right. A little back home then. Yeah. 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 Well, that's cool to know. You know, I think, uh, 
I think celebrities sometimes they get a bad, not and not that it's bad, but an unfair reputation about you know who they are, what they do, or how they act. And so it's always nice to hear good stories about people. Hey, like yeah, that. and I think if the world knew about yours and mine daily life, we'd be considered. Yeah. To, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to be under the spotlight either. Um, um, so no, well, I, we, I, we forget they eat and they go to sleep and they do normal things. Yeah, they're they human beings, and, and yeah, yeah, they've got families, days. and you know things yeah, like that. No doubt. Told- do you ever go on? tour did you ever tour with anybody no i you know i worked for bruce willis for a number of years he had a band and we went yeah. to some shows um yeah. so it was fun but never a never a music tour because that's another thing for chefs Without uh, a when, doubt. They, when they go on tour and there's there's stories out there about <laughs> about those oh, those, those uh, <laughs> dietary needs yeah. and, well, I, I, yeah. and, and I crazy was, hours i mean you know they get done and they expect you to feed them at 11 11 30 at night sure you know, when they get done it's uh, it's a whole. That's a whole different thing. Yeah, I've catered a lot of concerts, um, but never was I on tour. You know, yeah, going from yeah. one city to the next. What are some of the favorite people you like to listen? Well, to I finally head? saw the Rolling Stones four years ago. <laughs> I was going to say, I never, I never yeah. seen them. I like them the only I guy in the world that's played. Get, I would think <laughs> you could get some yeah, with tickets. Come on, <laughs> I man! I think you get some Stones tickets. <laughs> I, I, I never, uh, I never asked for that sort what of thing. About a backstage <laughs> pass or something, Keith? Come on! Oh, I tried to when I purchased the tickets for that uh, show. I'm like, I want to be on, you know, stage. Right, kind of as close as I can. Cause right. I mean, even today, if I were to run into Keith, he would know me. You know, sure, you know, sure, we, he would. Yeah. We actually, when I worked for Bruce Willis on an island down in the Caribbean, uh, Keith had a house nearby, and we kind of reacquainted about uh, eight cool. years later. I had a couple of Christmas Eve dinners with he and his family. Nice. Well, that's <laughs> nice. nice, and I'm sure that you enjoyed seeing the kids and they're grown, and you know, yeah. it was a whole, yep. whole different deal. <laughs> well, well, Brad alluded to it, but did you have anybody that really had like any situations where really special? requests or special needs that you really had to get outside your comfort zone. Absolutely. Uh, that was more recent. I had a, a client uh, with Lest, so I won't tell you her name. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want that lady, we've I got just, it narrowed down to female. <laughs> female. <laughs> well, and she's not famous, really. Just uh, she's just ridiculously wealthy. Uh, <laughs> I think they call that eccentric. <laughs> yeah, if you're wealthy, you're eccentric. You're not crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was uh, there were certain colors of foods that I couldn't do, and she had this two different lists from two different. You know, there was this book that we were supposed to follow, but most of things in that book were on this other list that she was supposed to follow things that we couldn't do so it was down to very few vegetables and they had to be cooked um and they were had to go vegetarian for lunch and then at night no grains or, or gluten-free or sugar or mm. calories or anything <laughs> you know, so oftentimes taste. it was a small piece no, of no white fish and some <laughs> and she only wanted two vegetables so it, it could be you know a few leaves of spinach and some peas and that fish <laughs> During the day, for, at night, you know, but during – Yeah, it's funny. I was watching one of those cooking shows and they brought on a celebrity guest and, it was, you know, the, the competition was you have to cook for this celebrity guest. But her list – and I don't even remember who it was. Her list of things that she didn't eat, it was like – What? What? Why are you alive? Just a bowl of white rice. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Why are you alive? Yeah. yeah. Actually, I, I couldn't get – I mean the list of things she could eat was much easier to keep track of. I actually yeah. had a list. Yeah. I was like, yeah. what can I do today? I did that yesterday. Wow. I don't know. There's only four other things. That's funny. <laughs> well, what are you doing – I mean what what's your kind of annual routine now? Because I know you're moving back and forth. And then we want to hear about some of these recent travels and what you've been sure. tasting and learning. 
Well, now uh, I operate uh, Ravel here. Yeah. Um, basically, late September, early October through early June, and then I go to Martha's Vineyard, and there's a Ravel East. I don't call it East when I'm there. <laughs> same tell name, them there's same a Ravel name. West. Yeah, I already had the van and the T-shirts. Yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the merge <laughs> makes sense to me. <laughs> What what does Ravel mean? I know uh, it's got the rooster on it. It does. Um, the rooster is a nod to the culinary world. Um, Ravel, I believe the boisterous celebration, I think, is the actual definition of the word Ravel. Root word of Ravel. Uh, yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what we do. You know, we, cool. We throw parties. And I, well, I you like do to, it well. You do, I'll you, tell you what. I've been the beneficiary of some folks, of those. If you ever get a chance to yeah. be at uh, one of Johnny's soirees where he's catering, it is phenomenal food. You don't want to miss and that. It's, the thing I like about it, Johnny, is it's so different. Yes. And outside the box. It is not your typical even from an appetizer or a small plate, whatever you want to call it, standpoint. Uh, you did our class reunion a few years That's back. Right. Yep. And the menu was just so out of the box, but everybody loved it. Well, and, thank you. And the execution was phenomenal. And so uh, kudos to that. That That's phenomenal. You've been traveling a lot. I have. And that's and that's where I'd, kind of, I'd lean on my travels to work up new recipes and, and ideas. And I eat a lot when I travel. Um, tagline is that we're globally influenced, locally sourced, and, and we do that as much as we can, uh, the locally sourced part. Yeah. But it's definitely globally influenced, and, and I travel, so I eat and find – I was in India right before COVID for about three and a half weeks on a culinary learning journey. All right. Tell us about India because that is – Mind-blowing. <laughs> in, Indian and even some of that Southeast Asian – I know Indian and Thai and Vietnamese are all different, but that portion of the globe – is something that I'm not as familiar with as other cuisines. So sure. tell us about India and what you learned, what some exciting things were. The the spice the spices there are incredible. And I, I toured a spice plantation. Um so they grew seventeen different spices or something. And so it's funny all these little things we have in our, our cupboards and these little glass jars that and they all pretty much look alike, right? The flakes yeah. or dust yeah. or something. Different colors to see that, you know, what a, I mean, we get turmeric here, but people, a lot of people don't know what a turmeric root looks like or, or a cardamom pod, you know, we know what everything ground looks like. Um, and to taste the things when they're fresh or a lot, you know, like pick a black pepper to eat a black peppercorn yeah. off a tree or yeah. off a bush <laughs> so, versus dry, yeah, dry it in a jar. Yeah, yeah. it was neat. Yeah. So, the, and that's what, you know, really their cuisine is defi- defined by the local. They don't have as much of the world marketplace coming to them. So it's really defined, defined by what, what's growing around them. Um, so that was, in, that was incredible with spices and I've been toying around with Indian food ever since then. Um, and I was just in Mexico for most of January and the similar sort of, there's a group of us that were part of an educational foundation for the International Caterers Association. And we put together these uh, culinary learning journeys to, to raise money to give scholarships to younger caterers that, um, to come up and, you know, go to our conference, um, this year, which will be in Southern California in, uh, early May. And that's the same group that went to India too. Yep. And yep. the same group, cool. I mean, it's the same group. That I'm going down to the bayou with uh, next month for five uh, days. <laughs> I want to go on that one. But the question I had, because uh, I actually I had this down, I said, okay, when you get back, you've had the great experience of being with all these different flavors and things. What is your process for Americanizing these dishes so that they're palatable for us, uh, for the people you cater for? How does that work? Because I'm sure that you have eaten some of the most amazing foods in the world, but you think, if I serve this back home, I don't know if it would go or not. 
what what do I need to do to maybe tweak this or tweak that? So it's still an Indian or Mexican, but it's something that you know is going to work for for my catering situation. I find the biggest thing is to change um, for it to be popular here <laughs> is for me to change the look of something so it looks sort of familiar. But then, and I also like the expression when people like, didn't expect the flavor you know, when it comes in. So if it looks like a meatball but then tastes like chicken tikka masala you know yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah or um, you put bacon in it yeah you know, <laughs> but no that, that it's a great question brad i was actually along the same lines how are you incorporating things you're learning in your travels back into your menus and your dishes yeah i, I make it a point to I, I write a lot when i travel um and then i start doing it when i get home like this whole hawaii trip that i just got back was a culinary learning journey as well i ate tuna pokey every day um, <laughs> in a different type of it and every day on a different version. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working on recipes and I'll, I'll try to track down the best fresh tuna I can and we'll start making it. All right. So I'm a, I'm a sashimi lover. Okay. Poke, ceviche, that kind of stuff. Where are you sourcing high quality fish that can be used in those preparations that are high enough grade to, to do that? I'm lucky enough to know, um, a lot of fishermen on Martha's Vineyard and, and the guy that uh, they deal with, they yeah. sell them to. <laughs> so I have a lot of yeah. Stuff shipped out, you know, when okay. we've done oysters or tuna or, or crab or, sure. you know, a lot of times um, I've had bay scallops sent out in November once the season opens up out there. That's a nice resource. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Bon Vivants, don't go away. We'll be right back. Hey, Bon Vivants, you know when We Like That Too was launched, we knew very little about what was needed to promote the podcast online. That's right. So we turned to Greg Arnold at GAA Consulting. GAA Consulting was a lifesaver helping us get things started. Greg is a small business owner who loves helping small businesses grow. He takes the time to listen to your business goals. GAA Consulting will custom design your website and create a digital marketing strategy to help you reach those goals. Every project is tailor-made to meet your small business needs and preferences. And Greg can teach you to manage things yourself or... You can hand things over to him and he'll lighten your workload. You know, if your business needs help building an online presence, visit GAAConsultingLLC.com. That's GAAConsultingLLC.com. Custom solutions for your small business needs. And thanks to Greg for sponsoring the podcast. Hey, Bon Vivants. Now back to the nonsense. What's happening trend-wise in the culinary world that you are either excited about or totally bored with and are over? I think what I what I am excited about, and I, I wish it was more accessible to me. Um, it's not because I'm here when uh, in spring when you plant things, and then I'm there in the summer when you can start harvesting. So it, it, gardening is kind of out the window for me. <laughs> I'm not out there when I need to get things in the ground. So. Um, but I, I love all the, the baby vegetables, microgreens, yeah. small, small things where you can eat the whole thing. But, you know, it's for the most part, it's sprouts. I really <laughs> call it what we want yeah. to. But, and I don't know how, how big it is, but I, I love it because they're filled with flavor and, you know, you can eat a fennel frond instead of taking a big bite of fennel, um, and, and get that same intense flavor of black licorice, you know, with the fennel flavor, um, without it. And just it can be an element of addition. It doesn't have to fill you up. You're like, oh, I don't, who really wants to eat a half a bulb of fennel? But, you know, so, 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 not me. Right. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. Um, what about anything you're over? What about trends that is like, yeah, passe, I'm, I'm done with that. I've never been a big fan of relying on heavy cream and butter and alcohol in, in cooking. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> uh, we can lean on alcohol, but not as part of the cooking process. Guess, guess we're not all over uh, it. Um, and I'm not saying that I don't use all those things. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm much more of a, a stock and, and herb based cuisine. Um, and people, I think most chefs fall into one category or the other. They use stocks or they don't, you know, don't yeah. use, uses them sometimes. I'll make a, a mushroom stock or a chicken stock or a fish stock or yeah. any number of things. Well, you're going down to stock country. Well, I was going to say, yeah. Fish stock, yep. uh, chicken stock and gumbos. But you and may run into a little butter and cream down but you right. sure, that's sure. right that's right what do you remember most about about eating in louisiana how long did you live down there then oh uh, we moved here when i was four so oh okay. moved to columbia when we were yeah three and a half and down here when i was five i guess but okay um so i don't remember but i i've been to a couple of conferences there in the last five or six years and uh it's incredible. I remember that I put on weight in five days. Like, it, um, <laughs> is there something you're looking forward to maybe experiencing down there that you haven't yet? Or absolutely, um, we've got a private tour and we're spending the day on uh, Avery Island where they make the Michelini family makes Tabasco. Oh, yeah. they make the okay. Tabasco. Okay, so yeah. just the whole thing is done on that little island, and we're spending a day out there. We are spending a day doing uh, uh, harvesting some crawfish and then um, and then having a big crawfish boil. Yeah. That was that was a question I had too, and I was going to ask you about that. And this is a perfect segue because the eating in some cultures is a very communal thing. Sure, and I don't think so much here. Uh, somebody cooks, and then y'all eat it. Down there in in, in the Cajun cu- culture, uh, you might have eight or ten families that all get together. Uh, you know, we call it up here potluck. Potluck, yeah, but right. But down there, you got a guy that's killing the pig. You got the guys that are bringing in the crawfish. You got another person that's making, you know, making the gumbo, and then everybody gets together in what I would like to think heaven is like. You know, after you, <laughs> after you get that done, but um, it's got to be close. Yeah, I mean, yeah. when you go to India, you've been down to South America. Tell me a little bit about the the culture of of food and food preparation. I think it's a little different. I think it's a little foreign than it is in the United States. What I've noticed in most places I've gone is that they're much more um, much more locally sourced. That, that's the big one, and I think yeah. it's kind of like the home field advantage. You know, if you were eating something a few miles from where it was grown or harvested or or slaughtered or, or caught, a it's bound to be much more fresh. Um, but there's something that it's, it's related to that that fish came from those waters the same. You know, water that you were swimming in earlier that day, or, or as a hunter, you know, <laughs> or right. the deer came yeah, from yeah, from right. these woods that I walk, sure. and uh, and I don't know that they do it to be cool or to say that it's 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 money, right? Maybe Amazon doesn't have a truck that delivers every day to this village, <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're you're eating the things that are around you, and it becomes um, I don't know somehow it seems more personal um, to me. And I mean, feeding people eating is personal. I mean, it's intimate. Oh, you I bet. Think. You bet. You're putting something yeah. inside somebody, right? nourishing, giving life. Like <laughs> yeah. it's, it really, it really is, and I, I don't take that lightly. Food, food is a language of love for me. I Absolutely. Mean, you know, I I tell Janet this all the time. You know, I I don't do a lot of stuff for other people, but if if I cook for you that means i really like you you know you're my friend i like to cook for people i like to and, eat uh, what he cooks <laughs> I, I have no problem with yeah, eating what he but, cooks uh, you know i agree and and uh you know i i think 
not only is it economically makes sense for people to do that locally, but it ties you to the the landscape wherever you are. If you're if you're locally sourcing, it kind of connects you to that environment, don't you think? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And nowhere more than Southern Louisiana. I, I'm so uh, excited about I this. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, and you're gonna you're going you're going to win in April. That's just Based about the beginning of crawfish season, is it not? I, it's close. Yeah, I would, well, I, May, I know they. Yeah, through June, I mean, it's Mardi Gras is kind of the yeah. Yeah, Climax and that, that down there, Keith, is yeah. when you bring in the crawfish yeah, that are as big as your hand. They're huge. Yeah. They're not the ones they send us up here, right? No, the ones down there that come <laughs> off the boat. They, they, they like when prawns. they got meat in the claws, yeah, they're like prawns. Yeah, yeah they yeah. are. So, yeah, so that's cool. Yeah, it's gonna be neat. It's uh, oh. I'm really really excited about that. Oh man, well, what trip. so poi, yes or no? Poi, I'm sorry, I'm not familiar. Poi in Hawaii, isn't it that the taro root, the mashed taro root? Oh, poi? Oh, yes. Uh, I didn't – I don't think I had that. I was talking oh, – I had a kidding. conversation. I visited a colleague at their catering uh, venue. Okay. And we are talking about that and somebody was messing around with us. But no, I don't think I had I that. I think it's an acquired taste. I think you either love it or hate it. It's this mashed taro root that is – Pasty. Yep, and, and they add water and it's kind of they use yeah, it as like, glue to hold it things can together. Can be glue, yeah. It can <laughs> yeah. be like glue, but the, the people, like I said, people either love it. I think you have to be a local to like it, but you know, not to curious. be confused with koi, which is a large koi, goldfish. A large goldfish. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they're good or not. They're big. They're a big carp, aren't they? Kind of. I think they are. It's funny what they call koi down there. Also, I went on a a day of spearfishing, free diving and spearfishing. But oddly, one of the few things where we weren't trying to harvest food, where I'd caught a big marlin the day before, so I'd taken enough from the (laughs) from the ocean, but. Um, we shoot these uh, these certain kind of grouper um, that are invasive species down there, and they reckon that on average each one of these grouper eats 150 reef fish. So, oh my god, we spent uh, four hours in the water uh, spearfishing for for these things. That sounds Didn't fun. eat any of them. Grouper is pretty good. Either. It's a different kind of grouper, yeah, and it oh, uh, so. carries ciguatera more often than not. This one, okay. which isn't worth it. I don't know what that is, but I don't want it. No, you don't. <laughs> and a square a square group is a whole different thing. <laughs> you don't eat those either. No, no, no. <laughs> well, this has been fun. Anything else travel-wise, Johnny, you want to share with us or anything? Uh, what's coming? after What's yeah. after Louisiana? Yeah, coming up, anything exciting? We just canceled our fall trip and we were going to Turkey and we were going to spend a week in Turkey and then uh, onto Georgia for another four days, but we just had to cancel that. That's probably, probably not the part of the world you want to hang decision out at this in point. right now. It's a little yeah. hot spot right yeah. now. So, um, yeah. so the next time, That's our next bad. big trip is uh, Brazil um, Ooh. Next, Ooh. next January. Where the nuts come from. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> or, and where we're going. <laughs> Waxing theatrical. Oh, Whatever you can throw that in with. Uh, no, where the nuts come from. Where the nuts Speaking come of from. Charlie's aunt. Charlie's yeah. aunt. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So we've come to the point in the show where we do our three top picks. Now, based on what uh, we've been talking about with Johnny and world travels and food ingredients and that kind of thing, the three top picks category today is three top exotic food ingredients you've either eaten or cooked with or would like to. It's kind of broad, but sort of a wish list of, uh, of exotic things on the, that you see in dishes or uh, on the table that you uh, would love. So here's how we do it, Johnny. We go around uh, one at a time, and we always let the guests start first. And apropos, since you've probably cooked with more things than the mine, rest of us, mine but, are uh, going to be lameo. I'm just well, telling you know, you. we're not we're not judging here. So uh, I, I think mine are going to be uh, 
Yeah, middle of the road, but that's okay. Uh, exotic to me may not be exotic to anybody else. But uh, so, so what do you think, Johnny? Uh, your first—they don't have to be in order, but first uh, exotic ingredient. So the, I had a breakfast of scorpions and cockroaches and ants uh, when I was in Mexico at a market. Mm. <laughs> so, mm. We, I tried everything. They, they had a guy take us to the market, and I said I wanted to track these things down because I'd heard they're there. So yeah, that that would probably be my number one most okay. exotic. I don't know that I crave any of that. It's not that I can't wait to eat some more scorpions, uh, but I, I remember thinking you know, so many people, even that what I was traveling with, were like, "No way, absolutely not." You know? Well, if you put well, it, well, I mean, what was your take on it? I mean, you know, the, the I mean, the flavor of the scorpion. I ate a couple big ones, gaggers. I probably got some pictures I can share. Uh, hey, send them to us. We'll put them on the we'll put them on the website. Okay. Yeah, we'd like to have that. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, it was a lot like bacon. You know, it was kind of crispy on the outside, chewy, wow. salty. Um, and I remember somebody was like, "What if you?" I'm like, "Look, eat. I mean, I think the chances of you dying from eating a scorpion are pretty low. But if they did, is there a better story than Johnny left this earth by <laughs> eating scorpions <laughs> in a Mexican street market?" <laughs> Well, you know, there are a lot of cultures where crickets, fried crickets and grasshoppers and people that's yep. like, they're like peanuts or like crunchy and yeah, grasshoppers. And I'm like, okay. And right, you know what? It's not when you kind of think of it on that level, it's, it's probably a source of protein. We should, you know, it's, it's certainly replenishable more quickly. I've heard that also that it is a renewal, you know, more renewable resource and stuff for protein and that kind of thing. So maybe something we shouldn't just automatically shun out of hand. So, you know, if you put some salsa on it. It'd probably help. Well, you know, you can deep fry anything. And it's good. A <laughs> <laughs> swim coach used to say, "Put enough ketchup on it, it's, it's perfect." Deep fry you know, a flip flop if you can eat. <laughs> yeah. so. I'll share another picture with you. We sat down somewhere and after this big bug tour, um, <laughs> but in the same market, and we got this the bread. They brought this bread, and there was some salsas. And I dug into whatever this jar of salsa was, and there was a I think it was cricket that came out. Of it. Not that it had gotten it, well, maybe it had just gotten in there. I assume it was probably part of it, right? And I'm like, well, when. Uh, <laughs> I'll eat yeah. another one. It yeah. just was in the jar of salsa yeah. as an yeah, ingredient. I know. A- <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, my first one is I, I probably have had – I've certainly had them in an oil form, which I think is really looked down upon in from culinary experts, but uh, truffles. I, I've never had a dish where it like had like shaved truffles on top of it. Again, I watch a lot of cooking shows on TV and that always seems to be such a, an exotic, expensive ingredient that I'm sure is – luxurious and rich and earthy well especially so. super super uh fresh ones you know like right just pick yeah well i think i think these you know these are the ones that you they ship them to you in a little box and you there's so much per ounce and <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah you know uh so there's two main types of truffles. there's black and there's white truffles right right now, i've not priced truffles recently but last time i did know the prices black truffles are right around the four to five hundred dollar pound mark white truffles Eighteen hundred a pound. I'm in the wrong business. I need to eat a truffle pig. Uh-huh. You can't. Uh-huh. Uh, that's the thing. You can't cultivate them. Yeah. So that's why nobody yeah. grows them. You yeah, find you them. Find them. It's, yeah. like, oh, it's like the same reason gold. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's the exactly. Gold exactly. Can't that's make it's it. all about supply, right? That, that, yeah. that makes like putting saffron on your Cheerios. Then. Well, there's I mean, a. There, I mean, it's yeah. There's a. There's a. Uh, you know, I've seen like a, a show where they're in a restaurant and they go, "Would you like truffles?" And it's like ching, 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 ching. Every time they shave it. The, the price tag goes <laughs> up. They're, they're, they're pricing it per ounce, you know. 
So, but I, I think truffles would be a fun uh, ingredient to at least really get into. Uh, I don't know if I'd know how to cook with them, but to eat they're them. they're amazing, and you, you don't really cook them; you just kind of add them to right. to right. to things. I use a, a fair amount of truffle oil um, because it, it really does. You get the essence of it. But I, a friend of mine made me a breakfast in San Francisco. An old culinary school friend, ten years ago or something, he made me uh, this four course breakfast, <laughs> but uh, truffles with every course, you know, shaved on some over easy eggs Ooh. and a little nice. truffle uh, BLT. <laughs> That's fine. All right. Well, I don't know. I'm a noodle guy. I love noodles. I never met a noodle I didn't like. And so when I watch Bourdain or some of those folks, I think what I, I really am intrigued with are like in Thailand and some of the Southeast Asia and they have the open markets and they've got all these different places that make all these different kinds of noodles in, in the wok. Th- that is something yeah. I think I would like to experience. Yeah. And they put, I mean, they put everything in those. Oh, they sure. put all really weird stuff in those noodles, which some of it I really don't want to know that they do. No, you don't want to know some of no, it. No, but I don't want to know. But, um, they pull stuff out of the sea that I didn't even know existed. You know, really weird looking yeah. stuff that I'm pretty sure it make me puke. Going around the noodles thing is something I would really, really like to try at some point. Uh, some of those markets because it just yeah. it just looks so good. They usually use a big wok and they put everything in there. And just- well, and and that those dishes are frequently broth based. Yes, I mean it's what the noodles are the vehicle. So you got to have but, a little. But what are you what are you putting them in? You got to have that rich, deep broth flavor that's developed over hours usually, and that's where it's happening. Is that broth? I could, I you know, the other thing that you don't you can see it. Uh, what that smells like. That's what you miss on TV. You can't, yeah. you don't have smell-o-vision <laughs> when you're, smell-o-vision. When, yeah, when, yeah, you're, when I you're on. Cause I, I just can't imagine. And they, and they do sometimes. I mean, they put prawns in there. They put these great big old things in there. So, oh, I'd like to try that. Well, and those spices, those, those exotic spices that we aren't necessarily, we don't get to taste them and experience them all the time. I think. That's what gives it that depth of flavor. Well, sure. I think some of them would probably knock the tongue out of your mouth. Yeah. They're probably so hot that, you know, they got all those different kinds of chilies and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And they, they put those in there with their noodles too. And you just, <laughs> let's just put it this way. If you ask for a number five over there, might not be the smartest yeah. idea yeah. in the world. Yeah. yeah. You might not taste for another that's two funny. weeks. Yeah. That's so anyway, I'm, I'm a noodle guy. Yeah. But, that's cool. Yeah. I, I, I love them as well. Yeah. They're like the, Dumpling. Um, oh. Every every culture has a noodle dish. You know, every yep. and the thing most of them they call them noodle and dumplings. We call them different, something different everywhere. But but yeah, yeah. I'm with you. It, it goes all right. across all cuisines. Yeah. Oh, all right, so number two, number two. I would probably have to go with the lowly oyster. I've eaten thousands of those things. Now. I hope to eat thousands more. <laughs> <laughs> Living on Martha's Vineyard in the summer yeah. months, we have a lot of a lot of. We can literally walk out and pick them up out of the ocean. But um, I'm looking forward to that in the bayou, I'm trying some of their oysters down yeah, there. Different but, different stuff down there, right? Yeah, different yeah. different type. Um, can you imagine the first guy that ate an oyster? Well, like, that's what like, Brad and I often talk about. <laughs> who who was, was the like, first guy that opened one of those things up and said, I oh. think this globus knot looks good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like a rock. Mm. It's not in it. <laughs> Tasty. <laughs> Let's fry this and put some cheese on it. I same, bet that's even better. Same yeah. thing with a lobster. Sure. That, yeah. What is, uh, let's, let's crack this open. Yeah, well, that that like. used to be peasant food. Oh, it was. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. So that's funny. So or the oysters. So you like them uh, always raw, or do you like different preparations? I mean, I, I've had a few po' boys that I've loved. I, I'm not opposed to fried oyster, but offered a fried or, or fresh one, I'll take the fresh live one. Slide her down. Yeah, we were in uh, – I'm, I'm not a raw oyster person. My dad is, but uh, we were in a really nice restaurant in Franklin, Tennessee recently, and they had a – they didn't call it Rockefeller, but it was a smoked – a grilled smoked oyster with gremolata of breadcrumbs and Parmesan cheese and some shallots on top. Yep. They were not raw, but they had enough firmness to them that they had some bite to them, and they were excellent. They were really good. I, I, so, I love them. I, yeah. I, I, I love them always. I shouldn't poo-poo the cooked oyster by any means. <laughs> well, there's a <laughs> great – it, it was a way that I could – the slimers are a texture thing for me, but this one I could <laughs> yeah. I could do okay. So There's actually a Louisiana – Cajun type restaurant in uh, Las Vegas that we went to. I mean, it's it is Louisiana LSU to the Hilton. These people were from, yeah. and that place was great. And you'd they had a big grill out there, and they did all different kinds of, of grilled oysters. And I think I tried. I think I tried one one time. It was good. And where was that? It was really good. in Vegas. In Vegas. What? what was the, I'm sorry. What was the restaurant? Uh, it was over by the uh, Stratosphere, not too far. It was good. Yeah. Little place, not very big. Didn't take too too many people to fill the thing up, but food was great. Las Vegas is a great culinary destination. Oh people, yeah, people laugh at it, but I, oh, not any, both not anymore. Off the strip, but you know, if you get away from a, it's incredible yeah. world of you know, yeah. there's food from all over yeah, the world. Got everything. It's not. Yeah, it's, it's not. A, it's the, a melting uh, pot. No it's doubt not about the it. buffet center of the world. Well, it's still got great buffets, but yes, <laughs> uh, but they're. Be- I mean, they're better buffets than, sure. they, than yeah. they were 20 yeah. years ago. But you yeah. can find. I mean, you got some of the head chefs from the world that have. Absolutely. Absolutely, on the strip, some of the best restaurants in the world. And And the prices to go with it. (laughs) And if you're willing to get off the strip and go eat at a strip mall, there's amazing. (laughs) Keith and I talked about that. Maybe you know where this place is. There's a Thai restaurant that's in a strip mall in a nasty part of of town, and it is ranked one of the best Thai restaurants in any top five. Yeah. This place is there. And our friend Dennis, who used to live out there, he said, yeah, I said, I'd get out. Run in there and eat and run back out to your car. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> I'm lucky enough to have a few few friends that live there, and uh, when I do go lean on them to take me to some of those places, they're food people. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. Well, my second one is um, foie gras. Yes. And I have had it, and I've had it prepared really well. I've never cooked with it. I'm, I'm not sure where I would get it, first of all, but I'm not sure I'm ready to cook with it. But when it's prepared properly – It's amazing. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and it surprised me because it – I'm not a gut eater usually. Let's put it that way. But it has a, a buttery richness and, again, prepared properly texture that is just like oh, – it's just wonderful. It's incredible. I had my first foie gras experience at uh, Gramercy Tavern when oh, Tom Colicchio had just opened yep. Gramercy Tavern. And so it sort of holds a, a nice culinary memory for me. So I probably had it first at Charlie Trotter's. Uh, yeah. But we cooked with it on every day pretty much there. Yeah. something, that, But it's incredible. I mean yeah. it is, like I said, the, the liver of a specially fatted – it's a half duck, half goose. Oh, well, is it's it? actually a special animal. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. See, I always animal. thought it was goose liver, but yep. it's a it's a hybrid. Yep. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, I know it's good there's animal rights people who have issues with it, and uh, you know I'm I'm not getting into that, but right. you know it is what it is. I don't eat that. It body is part. delicious. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not like any liver you've ever had on any other animal. Let me put it that way. 
All right. What's your second one, Brad? I had a um, sister-in-law that worked for the French Culinary Institute, and uh, they've got their own restaurant there in New York. And I got a chance to go back in the back area where the where the restaurant, the kitchens and everything is back there. Johnny, the greatest place on the planet was the bread room. It was one of the – you talk about where I, what I'd like to think heaven is like. So they cooked all these breads and then they put them on the racks and then at the end of the day, the students or whoever, you just went in and picked them out and took them home with you. I, I love bread anyway. But the kinds of bread that I would like to try are some of the um, traditional European, German, Scandinavian, those kind of uh, fire brick oven type yeah, yeah, yeah. type artesian breads that are made over there. I don't know that I've ever really had one that – because we use I think a lot more sugars maybe uh, in some of our breads. That That is something I would really, really love love to do. Uh, I think that would be fun. Correct me if I'm wrong, but bread is another thing that almost every culture in the world has a form of right. Some sort of wheat, yeah, yeah, (laughs) some sort of uh, ground grain and water mixture that is either leavened or unleavened. But you know, naan and pita and you know all these. What's not to like about bread? Well, I love it. I just, I mean, it's it's a comfort food to me. I mean, especially, I mean, if you put if you put in front of me a, a warm hunk of bread as opposed to candies or anything, sweets or anything. I would take the bread every day. You know, it reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Michael with John Travolta. Yes. He was the archangel Michael. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And women were automatically attracted to him just because of his aura and persona, but they all got a different aroma off of him. And when they got together, they were talking about it, and one of them was like, it's chocolate chip cookies. And they're like, no, it's not. It's fresh-baked bread. Fresh-baked bread. <laughs> and that yeah. was one of us. Fresh-baked bread. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I was remembering. So I would, there's not much better aroma than fresh-baked bread. Yeah. Well, and, right. and you've traveled all these places, and I know everybody has got their own way of, of making, making bread. Sure. Um, it probably started literally – thousands and thousands of years ago they may have you know cooked it on a rock but but like you said you get the right ingredients in the yeast and and you get it hot yeah and it's fourth it's flour water salt yeast that makes bread yeah that's it i go to that i go to that when i'm making bread i'm like if you got those four do you enjoy baking I do. I like making bread. You do do um, it much? Not as often as I would like to. That restaurant that I opened 20 years ago that I was mentioning, we made everything from scratch, our English muffins to put our cheeseburgers on. We made focaccia and we made flatbreads. And my, my attempt at a brioche, which I never really got that good at. I got the focaccia thing down. I still use that same recipe today. And, and it's I, when I pull it out of the oven, even today, I still can't help myself to eat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I think breads make, bread makes a sandwich. All right. Absolutely. So, so I think. confirm this or not, but bake. Baking, even pastry and you know just baking itself doesn't always lend itself to a typical commercial kitchen because of humidity levels and things like that. To do it the right way, you kind of need to separate your pastry and bread baking and stuff like that from the kitchen where all the other food prep and cooking is going on because it doesn't always mix. 
Is well, that, that correct or a, not? That's what they did at French Culinary right. too, because they yeah. had the bread area. And so they had one of the brick ovens yeah. in yeah. there, but they had some of the other traditional ways too. So they did keep it separated. I, it's it, a, just a whole different mindset. I mean, the whole, the recipe part of it, you can't adjust a bread. Like if I make a sauce, I can taste it. I'm like, oh, it needs a little more of this or right. it needs right. something else. If you're all in with the bread. You when know, it comes you out, this is it. But yeah, the oven, uh, the oven temperatures can't, they've got to be exactly what they are yeah, and there's yeah. a lot of time uh, humidity you know for proofing or something right, 50 percent right. humidity or 100 percent or, or nothing yeah it's a it's a different game to be sure but yeah. uh, like yeah. i said i it's a I, i've got about two or three tricks in the bread world and i just mentioned all of those gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> the english muffins i hope, <laughs> you, I hope you all were writing uh, those down uh, yeah take notes all um, right last round johnny you got a third one i think this would qualify uh, my favorite piece of meat my favorite cut of meat or cheeks. No, no. Yes. <laughs> it's not something you get. No, no, but no. But it's from veal, from any fish. Um, as a hunter, I, I know I eat venison cheeks. Um, it's an incredible little nugget that's more often than not thrown in the trash. Yeah. So from what I've heard, though, they need to be braised, slow cooked. They're a muscle that's used yep. all the time. Correct. So they need to be broken down. Yep. How do you and prepare the, them? Uh, I braise them. I red wine, braise them down and yeah. Uh, yeah, like treat them like I'd treat a short rib. Yeah. With fish, obviously, it's just it's a really tender part because they don't chew things the right. way we do. Right. I just use it to open their mouth. But <laughs> yeah. um, I had a I had a braised beef cheek dish. I don't even remember where we were. It may have been when we were in Vegas. Phenomenal. But just fall apart tender. and But the beef flavor was just so apparent. Yeah, and like gold and truffles, there's just not enough. Yeah. You, know, you never rarely find yourself with a windfall of cheeks. <laughs> I, I think that's part of that, though, snout-to-tail movement that we're now harvesting those pieces that used to get thrown in the trash. Sure. And, um, I prepared my first deer tongue this past season, and it was delicious. Haven't gotten to the tongue <laughs> thing yet. Uh, See, well, when I grew up, my you know, my grandparents were rural. So tongue was always, and I couldn't get over the little taste bud parts on the top. I just <laughs> texture thing. <laughs> it's a texture thing, yeah. And the whole and the look, you know. It's like, All right, so my second one is not really going to surprise anybody. It's so it's fungus. So it's mushrooms. Oh, sure. Mm. Now I use mushrooms all the time, but we're we're pretty limited in our scope of mushrooms. You know, white button, portobellas, baby bellas, those kind of things. I really would like to brand. Once in a while, we'll get some like uh, shiitake or that kind of thing. But I'd really like to expand my mushroom world into some of these rare and exotic mushroom types like uh, matsutake and that kind of thing. I see them used and they're almost steak-like in their preparation where they're sliced and grilled and get some caramelization on the edge and that kind of thing. And I just think mushrooms are phenomenal. You can't go wrong with mushrooms. No. Well, Wine, no. mushrooms, and garlic, I don't think you can go wrong. <laughs> Bacon. Unless you're... <laughs> And, um, but the, but the other thing that I come back to is from my youth and that is right here in central Missouri, the wild morel mushroom Incredible. and how rare they are, how hard they are to find. It amazes me that some people can just find pounds of them. It infuriates me. It does me too. <laughs> but when I was, when I was young, we would always have mushrooms in the spring. My grandfather and father would find them and, and my mother would cook them up and, um, it probably is considered sacrilege now. Now, but the way she did it was soak them, buttermilk, cornmeal, dredge, and fried them. Oh, 
They're delicious. Yep. Oh, my God. But I just don't get them very often. I look every year. I, I feel like I put in the time. And I always go to the one place that I find a few. Yeah. And then I try something new every year because the one place that I find a few has never – I've never right. had anything. Where it's like, oh, my God, where you see them. I think my record you know, for a season is 20. I know. <laughs> so, well, that, that was a lot. That was a good one. That's a lot. Yeah. That was three or four days. <laughs> Johnny, my great uh, mushroom story is Brenda's a master gardener. So she went to a class. She got a log, and they inoculated this log. And it sat right through this door, right through this window, and it sat there, and it became the joke. I was like, they were shiitakes, and so why don't we go down and harvest our our mushrooms? Because the thing did nothing. I mean, it was like two years. She and her daughter were down here. Trisha looks out and goes, Mom, look. And all of a sudden, this thing had bloomed. We had these (laughs) beautiful, big, gorgeous shiitake mushrooms. She yells at me. I thought – I didn't thought she was dead or something. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> Get down here. You got to see this. And I came down and I laughed my ass off. It was so, I was like, cool. And then we got, we've gotten a couple more uh, harvests from our, from, from the our, original log. Uh, from our log. I guess, I guess my out. invitation to uh, partake of must have gotten lost <laughs> in the mail. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah, it did. Well, there weren't, ma- weren't that many, but it was well, still cooked down to nothing. I yeah, will say that. They're mostly right. water. They get this yeah. big and then they mostly water, cook them so, down yeah. and they go down. Yeah. So, so anyway, I'm that's impressed my that you – well, I tried that. When I first moved back to Missouri yeah. you know, eight years ago, I went and harvested the log and did all the research at the right time, whatever time of the season that was, right before fall, I think. Um, ordered a bunch of the spores. I did three or four logs, three or four different types of mushrooms. I think the next year it, it just was firewood. So, <laughs> so maybe I just gave up too soon. I thought so too, but yeah, uh, yeah don't give up on those. Yeah. You know, you I, should, know, I think I threw them back in the woods. I should probably go check. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> That right. is funny. Yeah. All right. You got one more? Yeah, I got one. The only one I've got left is I'm surprised I surprised you didn't have mushrooms. You love mushrooms. Well, I could have done that one pretty easy. I love mushrooms too. Um, I think there's certain kinds of fish that I've never tried that I would love to. Yeah, um, yeah. There's some game fish that I've never tried. The first time I, were, I was down in the Caribbean, <laughs> I ordered shark and I'd never had shark before. I got this thing and it was like three inches by three inches. It was like this square block of shark meat and I was pissed. Because it was really expensive, and I said, "You got to be kidding me! This is this is it! This is what I get." That was the richest, yeah, densest rich. fish I have ever had in my life, and it was so good. It was delicious. But there's stuff I've never eaten. I know I've never had like walleye and pike. There's there's oh, some, my some things I've just well we you know, we go to Minnesota. Yeah, I've never had. Oh, I'd like walleye. To try. Minnesota State Fair. There's walleye everything. <laughs> I had walleye fries, and they're phenomenal. They're walleye, great. Walleye fries? Yeah, they make they cut little strips. They look like French fries, but it's walleye, just oh. you know, batter and deep fried, and you just eat them like French fries. It's phenomenal. Walleye's a great fish. I was gonna add on one of my honorable mentions was langostinos, mm. and you know, from uh, and they're harvested in the North Atlantic, I guess, mm. around Scotland and up in there, and they're bet- midway between a prawn and a lobster, yep. I guess. And you have to get them fresh. You can get them frozen, but experts say it's not exactly the same. But I guess they are one of the most sweet, delicate really pieces good. of seafood. Have you had them? Yes, I have. Oh, well, they're I would good, love to have them. Because you can get them in Florida. You can get them in Florida sometimes with, yeah. during the season. Yeah. 
Mm. But I'd like to have. I'd like to. I'd like to just taste those sometime. That and, and uh, stone crabs. Oh. Well, stone crabs. Yes. The candy. <laughs> yeah, the candy crab. of the sea. Crab. As long as as long as somebody else cracks them for I was, you. I was I'll lucky enough them. to go out on a stone crabbing expedition when I, I spent a winter in the Keys a long time ago. And you know they just they bring up the crab and break one claw off and then put the crab back. And that's, that's the cool that's, part. They grow <laughs> back. They grow another well, that's, one. That's yeah. great. They grow that's another. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know that I have any even. Honorable mention, Saf- <laughs> you, you mentioned saffron. It's just so rare, and it's it's a it's a great spice. But you know, I you get it in dishes, and uh, sure. I, I've never I've never purchased it or cooked with it. It's but, funny. Uh, it's it's good. It's a uh, it's very distinct flavor. Yeah, um, I yeah. use it when I've made paella, really, oh. and I, I use it in a sauce. But it's like three or four strands in, in a sauce. It you doesn't know, take. It, it doesn't take. But I guess it has to be. Hand harvested. It's the, the stamen of a flower. Yeah, yeah. but, but it down there with but, yeah. <laughs> tweezers. Yeah. Yeah, saffron's good. So. Well, this Johnny, was fun. This yeah, was we appreciate your coming I, in. I appreciate I mean, the I know your schedule's packed. And, no, I'm, I'm, and we're glad it finally worked out. We knew it would be a good show, and and and, uh, and it was. So, anything else, Brad? Before we wrap things up, I don't think so. Kay and Lo, we had a great time. Another great show here in the Bon Vivant yep. International Media Center. Yep. So Remember to uh, download, rate, review, and tell your friends about the show if you like it. That's right. And we will see you next time. Cheers. Mm-hmm. Cheers. We like that too. Is produced as a labor of love for the enjoyment of Bon Vivants everywhere. To get information about our bottles and links to our guests, go to our website, welikethatpodcast.com. Tune in to new episodes by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, and other popular streaming apps. Please remember to rate, review, and share. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at We Like That Podcast. So everybody, hey, remember the numbers. One bottle, two good friends, and three top picks because... We like that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too.